Good morning. <laughs> Are you all still as tired as I am after that time change? <laughs> Wake up in the morning and think, I've got three more hours. It's pitch dark outside. Nope. <laughs> So this week you had a chance to look at Isaiah 61, and if you opened your study and read Isaiah 61 and thought, everyone has a calling, what in the world does this have to do with that? You are not alone. Um, I thought the same thing this week. Um, when Betsy and I sat down and planned out all the passages to study for the year, I know that she had this really amazing idea of why Isaiah 61 fit into the invite section and into this everyone has a calling, but for the life of me, I could not remember what that was when I sat down this week. And so I'm sure I could have called her and had her eloquently explain to me how well this fits in, but instead I took it as like a challenge um, and like this puzzle that I wanted to piece together on my own. And so I tell you this because we're going to be all over our scriptures this morning. We're going to be piecing together this puzzle. And so I hope that you had some good, strong coffee. I hope that you are awake this morning and ready to stick with me um, because it might feel disjointed at first, but it's one of those things where once you step back, you can see the picture. And I think it's a really neat picture. I think it's once again a picture of how intricate our scripture is and how it all just fits together. And I do think it teaches us that we all have a calling. And so before we jump into these many passages, let's just start with prayer one more time. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this chance we had to study it this week. And I thank you that you do give us all a calling and that you equip us for that calling. Lord, may you speak to our minds and our hearts this morning as to what you have called us to do. May you energize us for that calling, Lord. Lord, speak through me, and I pray that you would just be in our midst and that we would feel your presence. In your name I pray, amen. So first, we're just going to look at those first three verses of Isaiah 61 together first. So uh, 61, 1 through 3, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So Tim Keller in his sermon on this passage notes that there is an enormous crisis coming up to chapter 61 in Isaiah. In Isaiah 42, a new figure has appeared and it's totally different than the anointed king of the earlier chapters. This new figure is the suffering servant. 
this new figure is not attractive, is going to suffer, and is completely and utterly different than the first figure. And that is why chapter 61 would have brought shock to its hearers. Because up until now, you either had a strong conqueror or a suffering servant. And now you see they are the same person. Not only is he a warrior, he is also a nurse. He brings freedom and also binds up the brokenhearted. Here in this passage, we read that the Messiah bestows a crown of beauty instead of ashes. That instead is important. It's not on top of our ashes, but in place of them. The suffering servant is giving them what he has, and they are giving him what they have. We are all ashes. We're going to ashes, and he takes our ashes and gives us a crown of beauty. So he isn't beautiful because he has given us his beauty, and he has taken our ashes. As Keller states, behold the beauty of his voluntary ugliness. Behold the strength of his voluntary weakness. So this is the Messiah we serve. Do we trust him? Unless we totally understand that he is both our suffering servant and our great Lord, we cannot fully give ourselves to him. But we can trust this Savior. We can rely on this Savior. This is the king who lost everything for us. And I thought there's no better way to start today than with that. I don't think that we could even begin to talk about our calling until we understand this truth about our Savior, who lost everything for us, who gave us beauty while he took our ashes. So now I'm going to jump to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 4. Here is something that I think is really neat. Jesus teaches on this story in Isaiah in Luke chapter 4. So let's hear what it says. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Martin Luther says that although we read the Bible forward, we can only truly understand it backward. We need to read the Old Testament from the perspective of the new. And here in Luke 4, we learn that this passage in Isaiah was always pointing to Christ. He was the speaker in these verses. 
And what he says here shows that he is not only here to bring spiritual salvation, but is also deeply concerned about the liberation of the poor and the oppressed. Jesus is concerned with spiritual salvation and social liberation. And we as believers should be concerned with these things too. John Stott in his sermon on this passage said, The gospel comes as good news to both categories. The spiritually poor who humble themselves before God and receive faith as a free gift of salvation. And also the materially poor and powerless who find in the kingdom of God a new dignity and the love of the brothers and sisters who will struggle with them against any means that oppresses them. So Jesus may have not physically released anyone from prison that we know of, but he certainly released prisoners from their bondage to sin, guilt, self-centeredness, and fear. Jesus did restore the sight of the physically blind, but he also came to this world teaching that he is the light of the world, opening many blind eyes to see the truth. Now, if you were to compare these two passages side by side, Isaiah 61 on the one hand and Luke 4 on the other, you might notice one very important distinction. Jesus says that he comes to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stops mid-sentence, closes the scroll, and sits down. The passage in Isaiah, on the other hand, goes on to say, and the year of vengeance of our God. Jesus stops before the year of vengeance and says, today it begins. The year of the Lord's favor, today it begins. So there is a day of vengeance, but it is not the same as the year of the Lord's favor. There is a period of favor, but one day that will be over and there will be judgment. So here Jesus is saying, seize the year. The year of the Lord's favor is another way of referring to the year of Jubilee. And so this is where I really need you to stick with me one step further, because I think what he is saying here is really amazing. So Leviticus 25 I'm not going to read through any of this passage. It's kind of long, but I encourage you to read through it on your own. But it spells out what this year of jubilee, or jubilee of jubilees, every 50 years was supposed to look like. And the book of Leviticus as a whole is about how to live a holy life. So the book of Genesis is all about the fall. Exodus is all about God's redemption And Leviticus is all about holiness. This is how a fallen and redeemed people can live a holy life with their God. This is holy living. And part of that is this jubilee of jubilees. So the year of jubilee then was a year where they were to give the land rest. They're supposed to give back any land that was sold to the original owner. Verse 23 says, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. So this is the purpose here is to remind them that the land itself is a gift from God. 
They are merely foreigners upon it. So consistently throughout this passage, God reminds them that he is the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt, and they are to be abundantly generous to one another. Any who had a debt is to be forgiven in the year of Jubilee. Slaves who had been sold in order to pay their debts were returned to their families. This is a time of amazing generosity and incredible forgiveness. That is the year of Jubilee. It's a radical picture of grace. This was a fresh and clean start for the nation. It focused around how to have a God-centered mindset. It's all about the Lord teaching them how to be generous and selfless. This was giving them a foretaste into eternity. So who would have been most thrilled when this year of Jubilee came around? The poor. But every one of us should be thrilled because we all have lived in servitude. Our spiritual debts are far too huge to ever pay off ourselves. And Jesus here is saying that he brings the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. This, my friends, is good news to us all. And so I ask you this morning, what would it look like for you to partner in the year of the Lord's favor? N.T. Wright encourages all Christians to live by this Jubilee principle, to be sacrificial in our service, to be radically forgiving, to lay ourselves out for the brokenhearted, to be unbelievably generous. That is what it would look like to live our lives guided by this Jubilee principle. Are you with me now? Isaiah 61 taught us about the suffering servant who would give us his beauty as he took on our ashes. Jesus in Luke 4 taught us that he is that suffering servant and has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He stops before the day of vengeance because that day has not come yet. We are living in the year of the Lord's favor, in the year of Jubilee. We have been radically forgiven. Our God has been audaciously generous to us. And we are called to participate in that. We are called to seize the year. We are called to live by the Jubilee principle in all of life. Everyone has a calling. We have a calling. And even more, God has in his generosity, equipped us for our calling by giving us all spiritual gifts that we are to use for the common good, that we are to use to serve one another according to this Jubilee principle. So are you ready to partner with him in the year of the Lord's favor? Are you ready to seize the year? This week, you had a chance on the first day of the week to look at 1 Corinthians 12, or this passage on spiritual gifts. And so N.T. Wright, in his book, The Day the Revolution Began, he taught that the result of Jesus' death is the renewal of our vocation. 
The Messiah's death gives to him, and by extension, all who follow Jesus, the vocation to be part of the ongoing divine plan. Wright says the death of Jesus launched the revolution. It got rid of the roadblock between the divine promises and the nations for whom they were intended. And it opened the way for the Spirit to be poured out to equip God's people for their tasks. In Gordon Kurt's sermon on human vocation, he said that it's impossible for us to have only part of the Holy Spirit. However, it's entirely possible that the Holy Spirit only has part of us. The Holy Spirit is sometimes described as the wind of God. You cannot direct the wind, but you can adjust yourselves. So are you adjusted to receive the wind of the Spirit in your life? Now we have to remember, we refer to these as spiritual gifts, so we often only equate them with the Holy Spirit. But this is all about the Trinity. When we talk about spiritual gifts, they are gifts of the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit. And just as the Trinity is three in one, a unified whole, so the gifts are gifts of unity. Corinth was torn apart by rivalry and divisions, and it's against that backdrop of division that we can better understand this passage on spiritual gifts. So God sent the Holy Spirit to enable us to minister, to serve, and witness giving gifts to his people. These gifts fall into different categories, and I've heard them categorized different ways, um, but this was the most common, was that there are leadership gifts, supernatural gifts, however that term is kind of difficult because they're all supernatural gifts, Um, and then there are ordinary gifts. But these ordinary gifts are the ones that I think so many times we exercise those every day, and yet we don't even recognize that that's what we're doing. So if you are ever helping others, showing kindness or mercy, you are exercising a gift of the Spirit of God given by the ascended Christ just for you. You are doing it in the power of the Spirit through the glory of God, and you should rejoice in that. We might have even admired these gifts in one another, but not realize that we were actually admiring their spiritual gifts. Some have a particular strong faith that we long to emulate. Others have the gift of discernment. Still others might have the gift of prophecy or are able to take the promises of God and apply them to the life of God's people today. Some might be encouragers. Some might have the ability for deep empathy for others. Some might have the gift of boldness, teaching, problem-solving, leadership, or administration. The important thing to know is that we all have gifts, and we are all called to use them for the common good and in humility, knowing that they come from the Lord. They're not for selfish use. We're not called to hoard our gifts and keep them to ourselves, but to serve others with them. They're given to benefit the body of Christ. And we all have different levels of ability and different seasons in our life where certain gifts are called out in us in different ways. Now, we know spiritual fruit is another term, and spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit are different. 
Spiritual fruit is something that we all should have. In fact, we should, all, we should have all of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But no one has all of the gifts of the Spirit. Now, this list in Corinthians is not the only list in the Bible. There are several. And if you add all of the gifts listed together throughout the scripture, you might find a list of about 21 different gifts. However, I don't think this is meant to be an exhaustive list. We are all gifted by the Spirit, and there is such beauty in the diversity of these gifts. And serving is an act of praise. As we use our gifts to serve others, we're not only living by this jubilee mindset, but we are also praising the Lord who gave us these gifts in the first place. So the question remains, how do we learn what our gifts are? Well, little in the Bible appears about how someone can discover their gifts. Sometimes a spiritual gifts test, like the one that you were sent a few weeks ago, can be helpful. This is a good start, and I hope you all have a chance to take a test, if not that one, something like that, to give you an idea of what your spiritual gifts are. However, sometimes the problem in relying on a test like that is that we are assuming that we know ourselves pretty well. And a lot of times, at least I find, that I don't know myself well at all. And so I would encourage you that sometimes the best way to learn what your gifts are is to simply start serving in whatever opportunity presents itself. So many of you probably know that my parents are Jim and Leanne Brennan. Um, They're here right now. Um, um, And they are the leaders of the Chinle Mission Team. And so when I was... Six years old, we started going to Chinle, and we went once and often twice a year for about 20 years of my life, and my parents to this day are still going. Um, They gave up their vacation time, and instead of going to a tropical resort, we went into the middle of the desert in Arizona, and we served the Navajo people, and I don't think I've ever properly thanked them for doing that for me. So thank you. Um, Because I don't think I would be who I am today if it hadn't been for Chinle. If you knew me when I was younger, you probably knew I was extremely shy. uh, Very quiet, extremely introverted, terribly insecure, and uncomfortable in about any social situation. But Chinle kind of was my comfort zone. It was where I went to serve. I learned so much about myself through going to Chinle. I learned that I have a passion for evangelism that I would not have known that I had unless I had gone to Chinle. I learned that even to this day, though I am extremely introverted, somehow God in his wonderful humor has given me the the desire uh, to teach in front of a whole group of people. Um, And I started doing that in Chinle. I got the, the chance to be a junior high girls group leader, which, let me tell you, came with its challenges. Um, but I learned that I love to teach the Bible, especially in creative ways. 
Chinley made me who I am today, and I think a lot of that is because I stepped in and served wherever there was a need. And so I would encourage you to pick areas to serve, not just that you think you're already gifted in, but to serve where there are opportunities to serve. Perhaps just start with stepping up where there's a need. As you serve in those areas that are needed, you might learn through serving what you're gifted in. Perhaps things that you would have never expected. As you serve in whatever area you are available to, you'll see what God blesses, how he uses you, and how you grow. And then you'll better be able to understand how he has equipped you for service. Because the thing is, using our gifts is like practicing an instrument. We get better at it the more we do it. If we put the instrument down, it can be a lot harder to pick it up. They become weak, and we have to train them back to effectiveness. So today, I couldn't think of a better way to apply our lesson then to just give you a list of a ton of different ways that you could serve. Um, One of my favorite, maybe my favorite thing at Glenkirk is that there are tons of ways to get plugged in and to serve. And so here are just some ideas, and this is by no means an exhaustive list. I'm sure that you will all probably think of other ways that you can serve, and I encourage you to share those with your group. Um, But these are the ones that I just thought of this past week. So children's ministry, first of all. I know that children's ministry has a huge need for people to step up and teach our kids. We need Sunday school leaders, especially in the elementary group. We need some Sunday school leaders who can step in and teach our kids about the love of Jesus, even just once a month. We need people to stand in the pass-through and welcome as the parents come in with their kids and point them in the right direction. We need help with Awana on Wednesday nights to help teach the kids to be group leaders and help them learn their verses. Of course, there's Vacation Bible School in the summer where there are hundreds of ways to get plugged in and volunteer. Homework House also needs help Monday and Thursday afternoon. You can help kids just sit and focus on their homework. Missions, Chinley, which is near and dear to my heart. Of course, my parents are still going this year, and I know for a fact that they need people to sign up to go. We need teachers who can help with Vacation Bible School, people who are good at craft and can help the kids with their crafts or help them with their snacks or decorate the church or work on repair projects. There are tons of ways to serve in Chinley. India, you can donate sewing machines, sponsor women's literacy classes, or attend vision trips or talk to Kathy in the back, and I'm sure she'll have more ideas of how you can get plugged in with India. If you have the gift of hospitality, you could be an usher, welcoming people in on Sundays and pointing them to their seats. You could be a greeter, just standing on the patio and welcoming people every Sunday. You could help with funeral receptions. It's one of the hardest times of many people's life, and you can just be there to help. You could serve coffee, or if you prefer, donuts on Sundays. (laughs) That's a keep me away from the donuts, but that's a great way for you to meet people. Uh, You can come on Wednesday nights and serve food. 
One area that I know we especially need is small group leaders. For those of you who are involved in a small group, you know a small group can help a big church feel a little bit smaller. It can help you build community to pray for each other, to make friends. And so we have people who would love to get plugged into a small group, but there's not small groups available for them, so we need people to step up and start to be leaders. You could come and clean and restock the pews. I know there are people who do that, thank goodness, every week. There's a human trafficking group that's just starting to form that you could get joined up in. The rummage sale. (laughs) That is coming in June. So first of all, you can go home and clean out your house and get ready to donate a whole bunch of stuff, which I've been doing since last rummage sale. Um, Or if you're like me and you love to shop through people's what I'll call treasures, um, coming and organizing the rummage sale is a great way to get first crack at those things. And I know that there are ladies in this room who spend hours upon hours on their feet getting this rummage sale ready, which supports so many of our ministries. It scholarships people to go on mission trips and all of the things that we do here at church. So that's a great way to get plugged in. You could sign up when we have a work day to volunteer. If you love to sing, you could join the choir. That itself is a spiritual gift and a ministry. Um, you could, if you love to sew, join Threads of Joy. If If you have a passion for the shepherd's pantry, you could donate food or you could come weekly and volunteer to help hand out that food to people in our community who have that need. Um, Homeless ministry, we have open arms, which supplies lunches and showers for homeless in our area. You could volunteer with that. Of course, in January, there's the homeless ministry here that you could come and either donate food or serve food for that. And I think all of us can commit to being prayer partners for all of these many ministries. I know that Vacation Bible School, they have people sign up just to be on the prayer partner team. So we can be praying even in advance for that and for what God's going to do on our campus during that week. We could pray for women's Bible study. You could come a little bit early and just pray over the campus that God would be in our midst and be speaking. Uh, You could definitely pray for Chinle in July as they go for safety for their travels and that it would be an effective ministry. You can keep India in your prayer as well and all of the various missionaries, which if you go on the church website... There's a list of all of the various missionaries that we support, so you could just go through that and start praying for all of these people. My point is, now that I've got through all that, um, that there are a ton of ways for you to serve and use your gifts here and many other places. When we serve alongside one another, we build friendships And we also have the chance to call out the gifts that we see in each other. Sometimes you might not know you have a gift until somebody sees that in you and calls it out. And so to conclude, Isaiah 61 taught us that Jesus is both the conquering king and the suffering servant. He took on our ashes while we took on his beauty. Do you trust that Savior? Do you trust that King who lost everything for you? In Luke 4, Jesus taught us that he is that suffering servant, and he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This Jesus is concerned about both social liberation and spiritual salvation. 
And he has come to bring the year of Jubilee. Just like the Jubilee described in Leviticus 25, but oh so much more. We are all in great debt and Jesus has canceled our debt. This is a year of radical forgiveness and amazing generosity. And we are called to take part in that. We are called to live according to the Jubilee principle. And we do that by being radically forgiving, overly generous, and servant-hearted, just like our Savior is to us. We are called to seize the year. And finally, he has equipped us for that service by giving us each gifts that help us to be more effective in our love and our care for one another. These are gifts that we understand better the more we serve each other. Everyone has a calling. Can you see it now? Do you believe it? Can we live in gratitude of that servant king and follow his example by serving one another, living by this jubilee principle? And I think it's only when we fully understand that he is both suffering servant and great Lord that we can begin to talk about our calling. What would it look like for us to take part in the year of the Lord's favor? What would it look like for us to leave this room and seize the year? So the song I have to close us is called The Servant King by Graham Kendrick. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you that you are both the suffering servant and the conquering king. Lord, I thank you that you gave us what you had. You gave us beauty for our ashes, Lord. May we live in gratitude of that and may that call us into service of one another. Help us to live as you lived. Lord, I pray that as we leave here, you would be speaking to our minds and our hearts. However, uh, you want us to serve you. Thank you that you have equipped us, that you have given us all gifts. And I pray that you would just help us to know how to use those to serve your people. We love and we praise you. May you be in the midst of our discussions. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks.